You know, if you just turn to uh, 1 John 4, verse 4, there's something that I really believe God wants to uh, impart, release among us this morning. And, uh, you know, we're at the start of a tremendous week with a mission, and uh, I know as, as I was worshipping the Lord this morning, you know, God was just bringing a change to the message, bringing um, a transformation into what he wanted this morning. And it says in uh, 1 John 4, verse 4, Greater, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This morning, we're at the start of a mission week. We're at the start of uh, a whole period of evangelism, a period of outreach, of prayer, of all kinds of activity, uh, things that uh, we are laying before you and saying, the Lord said. And that's always a hard one, and it's always an interesting one. When we say something as leaders, the Lord said, because the reality is most of us don't like being told what to do. Is that right? especially by someone in leadership. And in fact, actually, that is what we are seeing at the moment in the um, political world. Um, whether you like or don't like the people that have been elected into power, the second they try to actually use their position, opposition's coming. There's just an instant, no, you can't, whether it's... I'm, and I'm not trying to advocate any one particular person's politics over another. I'm just saying, what we're seeing is, we are not even willing to accept the people we have elected over ourselves. It is the demonic spirit that's in this world. It is the spirit of Antichrist. It is the spirit that refuses to accept authority that says, I will set up my throne against you. And you see, that's just, we just need to understand that what's happening politically is, in, in many of the countries, as the states and here, is just a real simple outworking of that. Any place that you see a rebellion as natural, and I'm sorry, but whether you like it or not, Corbyn saying the kinds of things he's saying in opposition is unrighteous. Let's just call it what it is. He's the head of a major party inciting rebellion to a government, yet he himself wants to be in government, and he can only be in government by the will of the people, by election, by arranging the parties, and maybe that will happen, but when he's in party, in power, if he ever gets there, he will need people to obey the law. The very thing that he's inciting people to avoid and stop doing, he will need people then to obey and do. So you see, you cannot sow the wrong stuff. I am not against the Labour Party. Please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. We have to understand the spirit of lawlessness that's at work in the world. But we also have to understand that same lawlessness, that same 
opposition works in our own hearts when God says do something, when a leader in the church says do something, it's not a nice, would you like to? We've been talking about this and putting it in some other language. My life's not my own. I was bought with a price. Let me see. How do you know you're saved? How do you know you're doing the right things? Well, I've just been reading through 1 John and, you know, just kind of looking at some of the things that are spoken there. Do you know, John is an old guy. You know, it's one, it's one of the last books written in the Bible. It's uh, written around 90, 95 AD. So it's, it's written like 60 or so years, 50, 60 years after the cross. So John has done this whole part of ministry. He's watched every other apostle be executed in one way or another. Anyone want to be an apostle? Anyone want to be an apostle? Execution is natural and normal. Hmm. That would be an interesting one for those that want to be apostles. If execution is an expectation of their life, pastors, you know, if uh, persecution really does break out in the kind of way we see in other countries. But God is actually wants us this morning to more address our own hearts, to actually look at ourselves. And actually, this morning, we had all kinds of activity going on in the background. We've had um, uh, events this week. We've had, um, uh, there was a concert here yesterday. Uh, we've got the team that have arrived. We've been away for the last week's ministering. And uh, everything's had to be changed. And, you know, it's just, that's just life, isn't it? But you probably have had that in your own life. On a Saturday morning, we, uh, Friday night and Saturday morning, we were doing the church planting uh, training for those that are going to go and plant Liverpool. As soon as you want to do these things, as soon as you want to break out and do something with God, that God said, you have to understand, there'll be opposition. Whenever you step up into your position of authority, the enemy wants you to get him back down. He wants you down where you can't quite see and no one can see you. Instead of being in your place, up here, in the place of authority. Seated in heavenly places, when you stand to worship. I love Mark and Julian, our worship leaders, they lead our team. Because even when they're trying to sort everything out in the five seconds before the service, and PA systems and other things that aren't quite working, they still stand up there, and when nothing was quite working with us, they just begin to get in the spirit when no one else is. Well done, guys. Becky, stepping in and going, yeah, come on, let's get that song out of our hearts. And you see, I don't normally preach from here. I don't normally preach from here because it kind of is like, like I'm better than you or I'm higher than you or that kind of just feels a bit kind of like there's a gap. Do you understand, every time you stand in your authority, there is a gap instantly between you and the world. You have to understand that. You have to understand, if you don't stand and give praise from the presence of God, 
you're wasting your breath. You have the greater one inside you. Peace will never come from the outside. It always comes from the inside. My peace, I give you, says Jesus. My peace, I leave with you. So where's the peace? In here. What do we have to do? Stand and pray in tongues and turn the taps on. Turn the taps on. If you've got a lack of peace in your home, it's because we're doing a mission week. If you're having problems at work, it's because we're doing a mission week. It's just natural. We've got guys going out on mission. We've got guys out on mission already. So we've got the, the ladies coming back from Egypt. We've got the guys going out to Zambia. And we are going to Salford on mission. Opposition is natural. So, every kind of distraction, and I mean your family, problems in your family are a distraction to what God wants. And if you don't leave your family for the sake of the kingdom, you have no place. Ouch. What does that mean? Ignore family? No, what it means is sometimes you have to kind of go, you go there, I'm just going to pray for you while I do the thing that God says, but I'm coming back. Because actually if I go, you'll receive more. That is such a chance, just a smack in the face to our flesh. Let me tell it as it is. It is a slap in the face to our flesh. Claire and I do this to one another quite often. And sometimes it creates that reaction. It's like, no, get up! <laughs> she says that to me. Sometimes I have to say it to her. Not as often. See, I've I got a woman of faith behind me. Get up into your position of authority. Stand up in what God has given you. He's put something inside you the world must have. How do we know that we're in Christ? And we're just writing down some of those things. Turn to uh, 1 John 2. Verse 5. John has got some amazing things to say. How do we know that we are in him? This is how we know we're in him. We, 1 John 2, verse 5, we obey his words and we do, or we live like Jesus lived. Anyone who obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him, if anyone must live like him. Everyone claims to live in him, must live as Jesus did. What did Jesus do? When he was tired, he went and ministered to a woman at a well. He was hungry, he was tired, and he ministered still. Most of us, when we're hungry and we're tired, we go, do you know what? Ministry can wait for another day. Uh, uh, I'm off. Oh, please, come on. Come on. All right. 
I'm persuaded. Go to the prayer meeting. I don't know why I'm going to the prayer meeting. Ali got his miracle this week because he is our worship leader in the Iranian, the Farsi ministry. And when he had a migraine, when he didn't know what was happening with his mum, he came and he led worship with all hell breaking loose behind him, trying to affect him and trying to stop him. We laid hands on him at the start of the meeting. By the end of the meeting, the headache had gone. And by later that week, he just stayed in prayer. He prayed all week. That's his testimony. He prayed all week. He stayed in prayer. But we prayed for him, and that tumor is on one x-ray, and it's not on the other x-ray. I'm talking about a proved miracle. Greater is he that is in you. You see, you've got to live as Jesus lived. When Jesus was tired, he ministered to a woman at the well. A whole city, a whole town came to the Lord as a result of Jesus ministering when he was tired and exhausted. You know, I think we give up a bit easy. When you're tired, that's the time to press in with God more. When your wife's not well, that's the time to go overseas and do a missions week, like Pastor Matt, uh, Pastor Marcus. You know, there's some things that he's laying claim. You know, it's just the miracles are yours. The miracles are ours because he's a covenant God. He is a loving God. He understands what we go through. How do we know that he lives in us? 1 John 3, 24. 1 John 3, 24. How do we know God lives in us? Well, he's got some stuff to say about it. We keep his love commands, and what does he do? He puts his spirit in us. He puts his spirit. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. The spirit Jesus gave us is going to give you words of wisdom, words of miracles for the people that you're going to meet this week. Ronnie's not just brought a team over. He's brought some superhumans over. Any superhumans like to join him? Because this is, this is what this week's about. You and I are not like the first Adam. We are like the second Adam. Walking in power. Walking in peace. Walking in joy. Able to advance when we're tired. Do you know, that excites me. You see, 1 John 4, verse 13 says, how do we know that we live in him? It repeats it. It says, we have his spirit. And, but it also then goes on and says, and we live in and rely on that love. See, when you knock on a door, 
And you're thinking, uh, are they going to open the door? Uh, they're going to see me and go, no thank you. We rely on the love of God to reach out and touch someone. Peter was preaching some of this last week. You see, we live and rely on that love. Okay, so let's have a look. 1 John 3, 16. What do we know what love is? How do we know what love is? How do we know what it is to live in love? Well, this is what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Wow! This, can you hear this old man? I've done it all. I've been there. I've walked with Jesus. I've done all these kinds of miracles. And he's getting ready to go to glory. And he's just giving a, a few last instructions. An old guy. I've walked the course, Paul says. I've run the race. Well, John just puts it bluntly. Jesus laid down his life, go do the same. Okay, what does that mean? Monday's not convenient, come and pray. The area we're praying in is not your area, come and pray. Tuesday, go and knock on the door, whether you want to or not to. Wednesday, go and knock on another door. Because you did it on Monday and you did it on Tuesday, why would you do it on Wednesday? Because Jesus said so. What about Thursday? Oh, well, we're giving you one day off. Actually, we gave you two days, Thursday and Friday. The team are doing all kinds of stuff. The Farsi group, they're going to be doing stuff. Saturday, we're going into town, into the precinct in Salford, and we're going to be giving out invitations. Oh, my goodness, not again. You mean I might meet someone I know? Hey, I don't go to that area. Why would I go to the Salford Precinct? Because Jesus said, lay down your life. Because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Oh my goodness. What, you mean I've got to do all of that and I've got to come on Sunday? Yeah. And not just come on Sunday, come with someone on Sunday and come on time on Sunday and come and stay for the whole time on Sunday. Oh my goodness. What? You see, if this is your house, you stay till the guests go. Not preference. When you have guests come to your house, do you just leave them in the house and walk off home? Someone else's home? This is your house. This is God's house. Oh, what do you mean? It's 11 till 3. That's really inconvenient. Church is only supposed to be an hour or so, isn't it? It never has been. It never has been. You see, the Sabbath is a day to the Lord. It's never been a day of rest. It's been a day for the Lord. Man has tried to take the authority back and make it about rest. It was always supposed to be a day fully and totally committed to the Lord, that you spent it with God, 
You didn't do your normal work. You lived for God on one day. But you and I are supposed to live every single day of our life for God. We don't go to work. We're on ministry at work. We're in prayer in the middle of doing finances or sweeping floors or cutting people open as some doctors do or putting them back together as some others do. You know, just that's what it means to be a Christian. Greater is he that lives in me than lives in the world. Now, I've given Ronnie a really stinking start except he's got the word of the Lord too. And what he has is going to match and complement what I've got. So I'm bringing you the challenge as the pastor. This is not a man speaking. This is God speaking. Will you rearrange your week? Set your family times to the side? Pay the price and come and do what God's asking. Let me tell you, if you do, you are going to see some tremendous breakthroughs in your family. It, you can't get the breakthrough until you give God first. That's, that's the awkward bit. With God, you give him money and he multiplies it and brings back to you good measure pressed down. Time doesn't work that way, but what you find is he lines things up for you that saves you time. Go figure. Don't know. Just know it works. Ha, ha, exams for kids and stuff. One of the things we always said with our kids is during exam time, you'll go to church and you'll go to life group and youth group and all the rest of it. You need to be there for you to have a sound mind for studying in the exams. Parents, you need to hear this. You put your pr- kids under wrong pressures when you say study instead of coming to church. You are saying your exams are God and the Lord's not enough. Whoa! None of us would say that. We just do it. Wow. It's exam season. We'll try and think about this a little bit better next year. I, did, I thought the exams were over. That's why we did this mission week. But you see, also, we actually responded to a challenge God brought us as church leaders. We planned an event. And we were in a meeting, Claire and I, and an evangelist said some very simple words. I think I've said it here already. He said, how many churches are here, church leaders? And loads put their hands up. And they said, if there's a number of you here, um, can just one of you keep your hand up so that we can just see how many churches are here? And I think we dropped down to about somewhere 20, 30 churches. And he just asked a simple question, how many churches in the last 10 years have done a one-week mission? Not just a one-off event, but a one-week mission. And he looked at us pastors and he said, so you've thrown our futures away. You've thrown the keys of ministry away. You've thrown the keys of mission away. And I thought, wow. Okay, I've not really thought like that. He said, you've you've listened to the lie that we have to buy the right to speak into people's lives. Food banks are good. 
tap is good. Sash is good. We do all of those things because we're Christians. Yes. But we have been bought the right to speak into people's lives by Christ hanging on that cross. That right to speak into someone's life is not yours, it's Christ's right. So we have an obligation. And this is what I want to finish with and hand over to Ronnie. Romans 13, verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. Let no debt exist or remain, be outstanding, except the continuing, ongoing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And it goes on and finishes this, the law, love, is the fulfillment of the law. See, when we love on these neighbors of ours, when we love on them, we fulfill God's law and his commands. You know, and we just stretch forth our hands in prayer, when we actually have to stretch forth our feet and bring an invitation into someone's heart, to their lives. And you see, you know, if it can work for someone who's a distance away that has brain tumor, where we come and we worship and we give of our time, how much more do you believe God wants to do as you give to him this week? As you give to him this week, have you given this week to the Lord. I'm just saying, you wanted some miracles in your own life. Give some time this week. Running. His uh, director in the States over Club 1040 with Matt and Julie, the pastors over there. And we just want to invite him to come up and just share something that God's laid on his heart. Amen. Praise God. Don't you appreciate that good Word of God this morning? I love Pastor Allen. Thank you so much for having us here. Uh, we've, what we've heard today, we could take that and, and spend all week chewing on that. Thank you so much, though. It's an honor to be here. Uh, my name is Ronnie Elliott. I am the U.S. Director of Club 1040, working for Matt and Julie Beamer, who I know many of you know and love. And, uh, so happy to be here with our friend Kent Wilson and and Gwen Mullins and our youth team who's working back with your kids and, and youth this week, we get to come and stand next to you arm in arm for your mission week. We are blown away. We are so honored to be able to stand next to you and see this city impacted. I uh, get to send missionaries all over the world. We work with people in North Africa and the Middle East, but uh, anywhere that the gospel needs to go, we want to help people get there. And, and uh, you know, what we want to do is we want to duplicate what's happening here and take it there. Aren't you thankful for the time we spent worship earlier? When we felt the presence of God, couldn't you almost tangibly feel the love of God towards you in that moment? That's the purpose of missions. Where worship does not exist, we want to bring worship. Where people don't know the name of Jesus or have not experienced that presence of God in their life, we want to take that to them. And so that's what we do. I, I find and facilitate people to get to those places. And on, on occasion, I have the honor to come and, and join them like I do this week. 
And so if I could just spend one more moment with you, if you would give me your attention, maybe five minutes, I want to give you something. Because you know, you may have heard a thousand messages, and there's a good chance that you won't remember my name or my face, or maybe even this service today, but from what has already been ministered to, to you from the Word of God, can carry you to the destiny God has given you. And that destiny is always attached to reaching other people. That's why we're still here. Amen. Hey, I want to ask the team to bring uh, to uh, put up 1 John 3.16 again. You know, the thing about missions and, and missionaries, often in America we have missionaries come off the field and they, they shake their head at us lazy Americans sitting on the chairs not doing anything while they're out changing the world. I never want to be that kind of guy. I want to be someone who inspires missions, inspires people to reach other people. Somebody told you about the good news. If you're in here this morning, has anyone ever told you that Jesus loves you? Aren't you glad someone told you that? I'm glad someone prayed for me. I met my wife. We were 14 years old. I was a heathen boy. My family did not know God. I, I uh, was in a family that did not love God, worship God. But this little, thir- this little 14-year-old girl, she showed me the love of God. And her church started to pray for me and showed me what it was to love God. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Well, we ought to, but we won't do the second part if we don't understand the first part. You see, this job is going to get done. The gospel is going to go everywhere in the world that it is not yet, and we're going to be the ones to take it there. But it's going to happen from people who are passionate about the love of God in their life. And I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe it's been a while that you've shared your faith with someone, or maybe it's been a while that you've, you've told someone else about the love of God. I want to encourage you, maybe it's because you've maybe looked away from that gift of salvation that God has given you. Now, I don't mean to come be the loud American and yell things at you, but I want to encourage you. It was because, uh, and actually an Englishman, 200 years ago, he showed, us, showed me one of the best pictures of the gospel I'd ever seen. 200 years ago, a man left this country. He was a, a young man who had done quite well in his life, and he came to America just to see what was happening, to... Uh, to see firsthand the cities that were being built and the culture that was happening. So he'd seen along the coast and uh, seen the great city of New York and had traveled uh, by train and by wagon to the uh, Wild West at that time, basically. And he went down the river, uh, Mississippi River, to New Orleans, where at that time slave auctions were being held daily and people's lives were being sold for money. And this young Englishman, he was taken aback at what he saw. As he, The further he walked, the more he saw people just in chains, bound, being sold on the auction block. This young Englishman, he, he came up to one young, beautiful slave girl who was being forced on the block, and he heard people shouting prices that they would pay for her. As he stood next to these vile men, he heard what they intended to do with her when they purchased her. He was so moved with compassion for this young woman that he shouted out a price that was twice anything anyone had ever paid for a slave on that auction block. He went up, brought the money to the man who was auctioning off this young woman, paid for her, the young woman looking at him hate in her eyes, knowing that she had just been purchased. 
And he took her very gently to the office where he would then purchase her emancipation papers. He bought her freedom that day and he walked out and handed her the papers that, say, that said that she was no longer a slave to be owned by another person. The young slave girl, not knowing how to read, not knowing what was happening, was still looking at him with, with hate in her eyes and anger. She said, I hate you. I hate you. And he looked at her and said, don't you know these are your emancipation papers? He said, I have bought you to set you free. I bought you to set you free. She looked at him. Her face changed from anger to tears. Thankfulness. She said, you bought me to set me free? I will serve you my whole life. Now church, that is what Jesus has done for us. He laid down His life for us. The Bible says you were far away from God, but He could not stand to be far away from you. And so He sent His Son to buy you, to buy your freedom and set you free. And our response will be the same as it has been for 2,000 years. The church has always responded the same way to the gospel, and it is sharing it with other people. There are people that only you can reach. There are people that only you can speak to, that they will listen to the gospel because of the life that you live and the love that you share with them. I can't reach them. Pastor Allen can't reach them. But you can reach them. But will you? Will you look at this love that Jesus has showed us that He laid down His life? Will you lay down yours for Him? I believe you will. Amen. I believe this is that kind of church. Amen. I know this church. I, I felt like I was coming home my second time being here. I felt like I was coming home. This is I, I get I get the honor of being in many churches across the uh, the country, the United States, and the world. But this church, more than most, understands mission. Praying for the men this morning uh, going to Africa. Praying for people. I know this church sends teams and hosts hosts us. We're going to your neighborhoods. But I want to encourage you today. There is another level. There are three million people in Manchester, millions more around us. There is plenty of people for us to go and share the gospel with. There are people from unreached nations all around you right now. Come on, we have an incredible Farsi ministry here at this church, amen. There are people from nations that I can't go to that come to this nation all the time. You know, uh, Manchester hosts the largest population of Libyans outside of the country of Libya. Did you know that? They're within arm's distance from you. Curry Mile is right down the street from here. Right there in arm's distance from you. But it is looking at the love and sacrifice that Jesus did for you that's going to spur you to go to them. Amen. If I can just encourage you with that today. Thank you for having us. It's an honor to be here, and if you remember anything today, it's that He bought you to set you free. And our response is that we will serve you with our whole life. Amen? Amen. Praise God.